Miami Valley Church. My name is Pastor Jen, and I am so glad that you invited us to join you as we worship our Lord and Savior and as we go through His Word together. I hope that you are surrounded by people in a house church as we go through God's Word, as we engage with His Word together. This previous Tuesday, we spent time just praising Him. There is nothing more important that we have to do than to praise Him. And so we looked at these passages, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Have you thought about that this morning? That God loves you so much. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, for you. That he loved us. While we were still sinners, he gave his life for you listening to this right now. We praise the Lord that he reveals how much he loves us. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, to the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. We praise the Lord together because he is a God who knows us by name. He knows every single detail about us. Have you thought about that this day? That God knows you by name. He knows everything about you. And he wants to reveal himself to you as your God. He is a God who helps us to understand his word. 2 Timothy 2.7, it says this, Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Praise the Lord, for he is the one who helps us understand his word. He opens our heart, he opens our eyes to the things that he wants to show us. And so as we go into his word today, let me just say a prayer of praise for us right now. Almighty, holy God, you are set apart unlike any other. God, you reveal who you are, your character, how you love, what you have done for us. God, you have rescued us from our sins, sending your one and only son, Jesus, into this world, putting on flesh, being tempted in every way, going all the way to the cross, willingly giving up your life for my sins. God, thank you. You gave your life for me. Lord, you're the one who knows every single detail about me. You know every single thing, every thought I have. You know me by name. And Lord, you're the one who helps me to understand your word as you speak to me. And so God, right now, as we go into your word this morning, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes to the things that you're wanting to show us. As you reveal yourself, as you reveal your ways that are absolutely perfect, God, may we be receptive of them. May we take a step towards you in obedience. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being with us this day. 
what a joy it is to get to celebrate in your goodness and what you have done for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Recently, I got to spend some extended time with my dad. Uh, he was going to have a surgery, so I got there before the surgery. And then after the surgery, I just got to be there with him during his recovery time. And we just had some one-on-one -on -one time, and it was just beautiful. And we got to talk, and I got to listen a lot. And I got to listen to him tell stories that I had never heard him tell. And one of the things I learned that I had never known before was that my, my dad's grandparents owned, lived on, and ran a farm. Uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom, would leave the farm and she'd move to the big city from, move from the little town of Asbury where the farm was to the big city of Joplin and, uh, my, and she didn't want anything to do with the farm and my dad would just get a chance to visit the farm and he would just talk about watching his grandpa work and all the hard work and just everything that took place on the farm. And I had no idea that, that farming was part of our family's history. So just in your house churches, and by the way, I hope that you're listening uh, to this teaching in, a, in an environment with, surrounded by people, surrounded by community, people uh, where you can know and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served, just in a house church. But in your house churches right now, just by a show of hands, uh, how many of you were either raised on a farm or got to spend much time on a farm uh, when you were young? I, I'd be interested to know that. I, my guess is not very many hands went up. But if I'd asked that question 150 years ago in America, almost every hand in every house church would have gone up. 150 years ago, here are the statistics. 150 years ago, over 80% of the American population had an agricultural or farming-relating job. Over 80%. Today, that number is less than 2% of Americans who have an agricultural or a farming-relating job. And we wonder, what happened? And what happened, the easy answer is machinery. Far fewer people get far more work done in far less time. No longer do you have to walk behind the horses or the oxen to plow the field. Now you just hop on the tractor and, and it plows the field. And as a result, one of the sad things that happens as a result of, of this is that we get separated from where our crop, crops come from. My guess would be that few, if any of us, have ever had summer anxiety about the amount of rain that we're going to get. Are we going to get enough rain to, to care for the crops or is there going to be a drought? Few, if any of us, have had this fall anxiety that what if a frost comes too soon and too early and wipes out our entire crop and our livelihood? Many of us have never had the sense of relief, that big sigh, that joy that comes when the crops have been harvested, they've been sheltered in a barn and everything's safe and everything is as it should be. Even if I go and try to buy my food or my vegetables or my things at the farmer's market and talk with the people that raise them, I'm still separated from what goes on in the field. And it's amazing to me that just a few generations past, my great-grandfather uh, owned, lived on, and operated a farm. My grandmother didn't want anything to do with that. The next generation down, my father uh, went and visited. But my generation, I had barely heard those stories, and my children had no idea. And as the generations go, we become farther separated from our histories. And so when we open our Bibles and we look at the story of the ancient people of Israel, and I, I would look at them and say, how many of you had something to do with a job that was agricultural or farming related? I think just about every hand would go up because they lived before machinery and it took a great deal to accomplish. And God was going to send them to this land flowing with milk and honey that had to be cared for, that had to be uh, harvested. And so as we open our Bibles, especially in the Old Testament, it shouldn't surprise us that the rhythms of their life, and we're in a series called Rhythms, and Pastor Wilders did such an amazing job laying a foundation for us about how, how rhythm of, of is even woven into the fabric of creation and how we need to learn into the rhythms of life. 
But as we open our Bibles to the Old Testament, it shouldn't surprise us that there isn't just one major day for Thanksgiving. We live in a culture that says, hey, a world, a country that says, hey, we'll give one day to Thanksgiving. But in the scriptures, there aren't just one, there aren't just two, but there are three major Thanksgiving days where all the people who lived in all the land of Israel or all over the world would travel to Jerusalem to offer thanks to God because the rain fell, the crops grew, and the harvest happened, and you had this huge sense of relief that, thank you, God, we have food for another year. Three Thanksgiving days, three major pilgrimage festivals. And we read about them and we've taught you about them in the book of Exodus. We're going to see them as we continue uh, to go through it all in the book of Leviticus. We're going to do that. Pastor Rodriguez started this series last week in Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to look at these festivals. And we're going to see them in the book of Deuteronomy. But I just want to zero in on the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. And we'll look at a couple other verses. And I just want to talk to you about these rhythms. Let's just look at Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17. It says this, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. There in verse 16, I want you to see the context of this. This is in the book of Deuteronomy. This is before God's people have entered into the land of promise. They've been 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and before they even get into the land of promise, God is going to say, hey, I want you to know what your rhythms are going to be when you get into the land that I've promised you. When you're in the place... Look what he says, at the place he will choose. We know now from reading the story that that's Jerusalem. They didn't know that then. They just knew that God was going to pick a place. And three times a year, the rhythm of their life had to be they were required to show up. There are going to be more festivals that they would go to. But these three, it was required that everybody would show up at the place he would pick. And so it lists for us three festivals, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Tabernacles. Now those festivals are called by other names. And so for our time together over the next few weeks, and today I'm just going to give an overview and we're going to do a deeper dive into, with Pastor Rolders and I, we're going to do a deeper dive into each of these festivals. But for the sake of our time together, we're going to refer to the Festival of Unleavened Bread as Passover. We're going to refer to the Festival of Weeks as Pentecost. And we're going to refer to the Festival of Tabernacles as Tabernacles. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Would you do your pastor's heart uh, proud and just a little bit of joy and just play along with me and say them out loud there in your house, church, just so we get them in our mind. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. One more time. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Now, it's important to know where these fall on the calendar because, again, we're talking about rhythms. And Passover takes place in the early spring, probably late in our, on our calendar, late March. Pentecost takes place just a couple of months later, literally 50 days later, seven weeks later. It, it takes place in the uh, last couple of weeks of May, late May. And then Tabernacles, it's on the flip side of the calendar. It's not in the spring. It's in the fall. It's the ingathering in the fall. And three times a year, woven into the rhythm of the life, God says, travel to the place I have chosen, to the place I have appointed. By the way, did you know that these festivals in the book of Leviticus and other places are referred to as God's appointed times? Talk about rhythm, God. So these are appointed times. You need to get this into the rhythm of your life, even before you occupy the land that I promised you. But three times a year, travel to Jerusalem and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for our crops. And so today is just an overview. We'll spend just a, 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 a minute on each of these. We'll spend a week on each one later. But today, a couple of minutes on each of these to get the big picture and the rhythm. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, Tim, that's great. But this is the Old Testament. And if we become disconnected from the agriculture in America in just a matter of generations, how disconnected do you think we are from the agriculture and the rhythm of the Old Testament? And that's part of the point. We've become so disconnected. We're not farmers. We don't live in Israel. We don't travel to Jerusalem. We have one day of Thanksgiving. 
But what I want to do after we just give the overview is I want to try to talk about three habits, three practices, three challenges that will serve us well in learning these new rhythms of grace as we journey together through the scriptures. So we want to take principles from these festivals, these feasts, and apply them to our lives and rhythms for today. So let's do a quick overview of the three. The festival, the Feast of Passover, in the early spring and late March. And each festival is attached to a, to a specific harvest, but it's also attached to something else. It's attached to a, a sacred moment. It's attached to some sacred history. And so the festival of Passover in late March is attached to the first harvest of the year, and that's the barley harvest. And you would cut the barley off, and you would harvest the barley, and you would travel to Jerusalem. But it's not just about the harvest. You would say, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, with sincerity for the barley that's come in. But it's not just about a specific harvest. It's about a specific moment in sacred history. And this, because it's called the Festival of Passover, is attached to the Passover. It remembers that point in time when God had taken these, these people who had been slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt, and they were miserable, and they cried out to God, and God saw their misery. And he heard their cry, and he was concerned. And he came down. And on one moment, in one night, he said, all right, you're about ready to leave Egypt. But before you do, the angel of death is going to pass through the land. And he's going to kill the firstborn. But your house will be spared if you have the blood sprinkled on the doorposts and the lintels of your door and the angel of death will pass over and once he passes over and the next day you will leave it's this escaped from egypt and say that they were to to celebrate the barley harvest but they were to remember the fact that god is our rescuer god is our rescuer 50 days later literally 50 days later the the uh, pentecost the festival of pentecost will be celebrated and so it's like mid to late may and in this harvest, again, you travel to Jerusalem and you're going to celebrate a specific harvest and you're going to celebrate a specific point in your sacred history. But you come to this festival of Pentecost and it's a celebration of the wheat harvest. But anybody that's gathered, you didn't have to ask, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? No, you tell me what you're grateful for. Because there was this overwhelming sense of gratitude for everyone that had gathered. Our family has food for the entire next year. God has done this for us. And over time, Pentecost will become uh, the annual harvest that celebrates the giving of the law. Remember, as we've gone through it all, we've seen that God's people uh, leave the land of Egypt, uh, go after the Passover, and they go out into the land, and God takes them to the mountain. And there on the mountain, God gives Moses the law, instruction and guidance for the people of Israel. It's the Ten Commandments, and we've looked at these. And they start off with how we're to relate to God and how we're to relate to one another. Uh, put God first. No, no other gods beside him. Don't, don't make idols. Honor your mom and dad. Honor the marriage that you're in. Don't become a culture marked by murder and theft and lying. These are 10 words that remind us so much about the culture and how we're supposed to live. So festival one is the Passover, it's the, it's the barley harvest, but it's, it's the moment in time of Passover that God rescues us. Festival two, it's Pentecost, it's the wheat harvest, it's celebrating the wheat harvest. Thank you God, thank you God for the wheat and that our family has food, but it's that moment to celebrate uh, the giving of the law. God guides us. God is the God who speaks and he's the God who guides us. And then on the flip side of the year, not in the spring, but in the falls, the Feast of Tabernacles, the end gathering. Well, what is the specific crop that they harvest? Well, maybe if you've ever had a garden in your backyard or some small garden, you know that certain crops ripen at different rates and different times of the year. And so maybe in your garden you have tomatoes that ripen sometime in July and August. And by the way, if they ripen July 20th, feel free to stop by your pastor's house on July 21st and give him some of the fruit of your harvest. I would happily entertain those. But tomatoes uh, ripen and you harvest those in July or August. 
uh, pumpkins ripen a little bit later and you, you harvest them, and then apples maybe even a little bit right later. Not all fruits are harvested at the same time, so the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrating the, the harvest of the fruit from the vine, the fruit from the trees, and in that culture, it's mainly olives and grapes and pomegranates and figs. And the good thing about this is that grapes turn into wine, which can be preserved, and olives turn into olive oil, which can be preserved. And the fall harvest opposite the spring is the harvest you simply say, God, thank you, God, thank you. Thank you for olives and figs and pomegranates and grapes and the ways you help us see how we can preserve them. And historically, the, the sacred moment, the sacred period in time that's attached to the Festival of Tabernacles is the entire wilderness period, the 40 years that God's people wandered in the wilderness where God preserved them, where God protected them, where God provided for them. For many, and the celebration, remember this rhythm was set in place before they had entered the promised land. And for many, this was the favorite feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, because it was a week-long camp out. You would build temporary booths called tabernacles, kind of like tents to remember that when you were in the wilderness, you leave in these temporary, you lived in these temporary tents, these, these lean-tos, and God took care of you day by day. And so it's called the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or tents. And here in this moment, he is the God who provides for us. So historically, the rhythm that begins to build it, that's required in this Passover. You go and celebrate the harvest, but you pass over, you say, God rescues us. At Pentecost, you say, God guides us. At Tabernacles, you say, God provides us. He rescues us. He guides us. He provides for us. He provides for us. And this is the rhythm that is so built into your life so that we do not forget He rescues us. He guides us. He provides us. Yes, it's the giving of thanks for food that you were able to eat, but it's a time of humility to remember that God and God alone rescues us. He guides us. He provides for us. And this is our sacred history. And God knew that this needed to be woven into the rhythm of our life because as human beings, we have the tendency to forget who God is and what he has done on our behalf. And God says, I am going to require that this becomes part of the rhythm of your life. And a deeper dive of each one of these is coming and we'll continue to, we'll continue to see that, the, the, the specific harvest and how it's attached to a sacred period of time. But what I want to do now is I want to spend a few minutes and say, I want to challenge us with, with three habits, three practices that can, can guide our hearts as we enter into a new, learning new rhythms of life. And maybe especially, not too far away, we're going to be celebrating Easter, but maybe we can look at celebrating even that in a little bit different way. So three habits, three practices, three challenges to change the rhythm of our lives. And habit number one simply is the habit of gratitude. Have you noticed that it's possible to blow through an entire year and not really be intentional about giving thanks? Sure, we have a holiday in our country one day a week and, uh, you know, fourth Thursday, of, uh, fourth Thursday of November that's set aside. But I think over the course of time, it's really become more about turkey or the turkey trot. Or maybe you think about Thanksgiving. It's not about giving thanks. All you can think about is the family tension that you're going to have because you had it last year. What goes into these three feasts, the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, was woven into each one of them, the deepest and serious form. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We know that without you, this wouldn't be. We now know and we remember where all of our stuff comes from. God, this is about you and your goodness. You are God and you are good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the difference of the kind of thanks that took place in these festivals with that kind of rhythm and the kind of thanks we give, give maybe I could explain, explain it this way. It's the difference between giving thanks for and giving thanks to. We settle for giving thanks for. Maybe 
even your tradition at Thanksgiving or maybe other times throughout the year, you'll sit down at your table and before you have the meal, you say, before we're going to eat, I want to go around the table and I want each of you to say what you're thankful. Yeah, that's right, for. And what we do when we give thanks for is we look around and we look around us and that's great and that's important. And I'm, I'm thankful for this. I'm, I'm thankful for sweet potato casserole. I'm thankful that mom knows I don't like turkey so she also cooks ham on Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm thankful for you and you and you. We are thankful for, but these festivals were not about being thankful for. These festivals were all about giving thanks to. Maybe I could explain it this way. It's different. Giving thanks for causes us to look around. Giving thanks to makes us lift our chin up and look up to the one and only person, the one and only God who can provide who can guide and who can rescue. So I wanna give you a project. Uh, maybe some of you are older like me and you wanna take paper and pen, or maybe you have a journal that you wanna fill out, or maybe you just take notes on your phone. But I wanna ask you to finish a specific sentence, and the sentence is this. Dear gracious Lord, I give thanks to you for. I give thanks to you. I'm acknowledging it's you who gives the gift. Make a list. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be long, but make sure you're looking up. In the New Testament, James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of life. Do you get it? Everything given and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down. We need to look up. And so as you look up, maybe these would be some examples. Over the last few weeks, you've been able to say, God, I thank you, Lord, that a snow and ice fell I had a home, I had shelter, I had heat. And even if my heat went out, I had blankets and I had candles and I had hats and I had coats. And God, I acknowledge that they are all from you. God, thank you, Lord, that in the challenges of this last year, in the setbacks of this last year, in the wilderness times of this last year, you have been with me. You have provided strength. You have provided hope. You have provided perseverance so that we could keep moving forward, so that we learn to trust you and, good, and do good. I want to ask you to finish that sentence and maybe be intentional about writing four or five things down. Maybe you're not going to be able to stop at four or five things. You're going to have a journal full. But these Jewish festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, are marked by a rhythm of gratitude. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All I have is from you. And it's a habit, a practice that needs to be part of the rhythm. And once a year is not enough. Well, how does this become a habit? Let me just give you some ideas for how you might turn gratitude into a habit. Maybe you need to change the way you pray at mealtimes. Maybe you don't pray at mealtimes, or maybe you just pray at mealtimes, and you refer to it as grace. Maybe you need to start thinking about prayer at mealtimes, not as grace, but as thank you, eyes up. It's not just about what's on your table, but God, we know that all the things on this table come from you. Instead of saying, God, bless the food, spend time before the meal, saying, God, we bless you because you're a rescuer. You're a guide and you're a provider. Some of you are paid on a regular basis. Maybe it's every other Friday. Some of you, maybe it's not um, every other Friday. Maybe you work on commission and, and your commission comes uh, less frequently. But uh, I have a hunch that all of us know when we get paid. I used to get a pay stub. And some of you are like, pay stub, what's that? You never got a pay stub. Now everything, I don't even get a pay stub anymore. Now everything's uh, direct deposit, but I get an electronic confirmation when that deposit from my workplace is put into my bank account. 
And instead of just saying, there it is again, maybe I just need to say whenever that electronic confirmation comes, I'm developing a habit of gratitude. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It was only by your grace and your provision that I had this job. It was only by your grace and your provision that I could use my hands to do my work, that I could use my mind to be creative. And God, I'm just lifting my chin up and I'm looking up. Thank you. Thank you. This electronic confirmation of confirmation of my pay is a reminder that everything is from you this represents the food that's from you the shelter that's from you the clothing that's from you the transportation that's from you and god at a set time and on regular intervals i want to develop this habit of gratitude i've shared with you about over the last five years that i've tried to develop a new habit in my life that every single day in my journal i write down three specific unique things that i'm thankful for maybe it's a unique food item. Maybe it's a unique clothing item. Maybe it's a conversation that goes well. Maybe it's an encouraging email, but three unique things every day that I'm thankful for. And I didn't start this because I'm a really grateful person. I started this because about five, six years ago, I began to find in my heart that I was growing into a grumpy old man. And I don't want to be an ungrateful, grumpy old guy. The theory is this, that God's blessings are bombarding me every day And if I can just grab three of them and look up and say, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, it's going to change my life. It's the habit of gratitude. What happens is we recall what we've been given in gratitude. It gives us an opportunity to reflect on what we're giving, which takes us to habit number two, the habit of generosity. That Deuteronomy passage that said, hey, three times a year, you're to show up, uh, the festival of Passover, the festival of Pentecost, and the festival of Tabernacles. This is what it says at the end of verse 16 in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 17. It says, No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. What's that end of verse 16 say? No one of you should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Empty-handed. If we have developed a habit of gratitude, we're not going to be able to show up empty-handed. And then it gives us this idea of this this proportional giving, which even in the New Testament after Jesus is, is taught. Each of you bring a gift in proportion to the way God has blessed you. He's blessed you in a little way, bring a little gift. Bless you, bless you in a, a small way, bring a small gift. And so what we begin to see here is this. This means that if uh, this year I'm making more, I ought to give more. If my salary grows my generosity should grow. If my income is rising, my giving should rise as well. And so I begin to ask myself, hey, what kind of year did I have? And they're going to the harvest and they're going to these festivals. Hey, what kind of harvest did you have? What kind of your wheat harvest? It was the best I've ever had. Then it ought to be the best offering you've ever brought. Hey, what kind of harvest did you get? Oh, it, was, it wasn't great, but it was good. Well, then this ought to maybe not be a great offering that you bring, but it ought to be a good offering. Or somebody might show up and say, hey, this is, this is just the smallest harvest I've ever had. And that's okay. Maybe this is the smallest giving you give because you bring a gift in proportion to how God has blessed you. Smaller blessing, smaller gift. Larger blessing, larger gift. And this becomes challenging and for every pastor that, that speaks about generosity. And what we want to encourage you to, what the challenge is to all of us, is that we should always be giving something to our local church family. We should always be giving something to the ministry that blesses us and to the ministry that intends to bless the community in which you live. We should always be in the habit of giving something that we don't appear empty-handed. And I'm so grateful that Autumn and I uh, began this discipline early on in our married life. We're giving, it grows to our church. And in times when we got salary increases, our giving increases. In times where our salary went down, our giving went down. But we just know we're blessed to be a blessing. And some of you are thinking, 
Hey, Tim, what, what's that mean? I am just a, a faithful and consistent giver. And there are so many of you that are faithful and consistent givers. And we as your pastors just want to say thank you. But I want to issue you a challenge if you're a faithful and consistent giver and, and you've just done it and you, you give it um, consistently and you give it electronically and month by month, it just shows up consistently. But let me ask you this. Maybe you haven't checked your percentage since 2018. 2018, you and your family sat down and said, hey, this is how God's blessed us. And you picked a percentage and you just started giving and you haven't looked at it. And now it's 2023. Four or five years, you haven't checked the percentage. And for four years, maybe you didn't get a great increase in salary, but maybe you've got a cost of living increase, but you haven't included that in your giving in proportion to the way God has blessed you. And the challenge is to always stay proportional. My friend, the motivation is not guilt or the needs of this organization or any organization. The roots of this kind of giving find themselves in the generosity of God, the giver of every good and perfect gift. There's a question and a habit to, to develop this habit of generosity. There's a question I think we need to ask every single time we talk about it. It comes from Psalm 116, Psalm 116, the 12th verse, and it simply says this, What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What shall I return to the Lord? What gift can I give that matches his gift to me? Look at his goodness in creation, the festivals. Look at his goodness on the cross, what he gave us in his son, Jesus Christ. What shall I return to the Lord for his goodness to me? That's how you begin to develop a habit of generosity. And you're like, okay, Tim, got it. These people were to be thankful. They were to bring gifts with them. Were they supposed to bring anything else? Yes, they're to bring people with them. So they're to drag people along all the way to this festival. Habit number three, the habit of community. Deuteronomy 16, 14 says this, be joyful at your festival. By the way, be joyful at your festival. Don't come like an old grumpy guy. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. By the way, did you see that? Who live in your towns, in your neighborhoods. Don't travel alone. Think about people you might include. So there's a family going to Jerusalem for the festival and they find out that just two doors down, there's a lady who two years ago, she lost her husband and she doesn't have the financial resources to take this trip. Walk down, knock on her door and invite her to travel with you and you pick up her expenses. Maybe on the other side of town, there are three children, 10, eight and five, who a year ago lost their parents. And the idea of feasting is not in their vocabulary. The 10 year old is just trying to figure out how to survive. Feasting is only in their dreams and invite them to go with you, take them with you, it is on you. And across the street, some immigrants, some refugees have moved in who fled for their lives and fled because of famine. And you, all you know about them is they're different than me. You probably figure they worship another God. Invite them to go with you. How better is it for them to learn about the God who is good, the God of sacred history who rescues us, who guides us, and who provides us? You, your sons and daughters, your servants, the Levites who had no land of your own, the foreigners, the orphaners, and the widows. This is the habit of community. This is the habit of including. And I think this is probably the most difficult habit of all to develop. The idea here is be on the lookout for people who have no people. Be on the lookout for people who have no family. Be on the lookout for the separated mom and dad who don't get to celebrate every holiday with their children. And on one holiday, they're going to be by themselves. Be on the lookout for the empty nester who has kids in other states and is alone. This challenge is the most difficult for a couple of reasons because most of you would say, hey, Tim, do you realize there's not a week in my life where I feel under-challenged? <laughs> Especially if I have kids or grandkids or parents that I'm taking care of, my responsibilities for them. And then there's the extended family. I have brothers and sisters on the other side of town that I barely see, not to mention nieces and nephews. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to care for them. And now you're asking me to care for people that I barely know. That's the point. 
You say, my dance card is filled up, but God says there's something about God's heart that makes him leap for joy when we reach out to someone and meet a practical need, someone we barely know who has no people who doesn't have the, or who doesn't have the financial ability. Another way to look at this is when God commanded people to go to the festival, God says, uh, this isn't about you. It's not. It's about the people you don't know well. It's about the people who have no people that I love. And so this is hard for me because of the busyness of my life. It's also challenging for me because I would say, I just don't know many of those kind of people. Well, I just want you to know, God is going to put those people in your life if you would just open up your eyes. We'll talk more about that as we go through these festivals. Maybe it's in Acts chapter 27 and 28, this guy named Paul who wrote through the Holy Spirit, the majority of the New Testament, he's a prisoner and he's on a ship and he's on a two-week journey back to Jerusalem to stand trial under Nero. And there's a, there's, there's a huge storm and, and there's a, it's dark and they don't know if it's day or night and, and all of a sudden one morning they work up, woke, wake up after two weeks and they see land. And as they see land, uh, the captain of the ship says, we're, we're headed for land. And they run across a sandbar and the boat breaks up. And so these strangers wash up on land and these people look out of their huts and they see a people they do not know, some of them in chains, knowing that they're prisoners. And it's cold and rainy. And the scriptures say they go out and they light a fire for them. Let me ask you this question. If you're thinking about caring and inviting some people along for the, the people you barely know, what would it look like for you to build a fire for somebody you don't know, an orphan, a widow, a foreigner? a refugee. Maybe you're getting ready to have a big party at your house for that big football game that's coming up and you're inviting all kinds of people and you want to invite somebody like that. Maybe it's ordering an extra pizza for some people who don't have anything. Maybe it's a regular invitation and opening up your home and your dinner table for those kinds of people who don't have anybody. It's this concept of including others that I barely know. And when I do that, I remember that God included me when I was alone, when I was lost when I was wondering, God reached out to me and whispered my name and invited me to be part of his family. Before I knew how to call out to him, he called out to me and he included me. And he invites me to the feast and he says, do not travel alone. Invite others to come with you. My friends, it's the habit of gratitude. It's the habit of generosity. It's the habit of community that flow from who God is. And he doesn't want us to forget and it needs to be part of our rhythm. He rescued us. He guides us. He provides us. And we need to develop on a regular basis and an intentional basis gratitude that reflects thanksgiving for his abundant generosity. Everything we have comes down from him. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Generosity is part of the way we acquire the DNA of God. And it's abundantly wild and it's abundantly it's abundant and it's wild and it's generous and i simply say what shall i return to the lord for all his goodness to me and community is reflecting the idea that god is always reaching out the scriptures say that jesus himself came to seek and save the lost he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and this is the rhythm that we need he rescues us he guides us he provides for us the habit of gratitude the habit of generosity and the habit of community this is the rhythm we're striving for. This is the rhythm we want to learn as we learn to celebrate God's rhythm and these festivals. Let, us, let me pray for us. Gracious God, as we worry in our lives according to your rhythms, remind us, may we never be forgetful. You rescue us. You guide us. You provide, provide for us. And may the rhythm of our life include intentional times of gratitude, generosity, and community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thank you.
Thank you. 
Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank you. 